Welcome back to Bachelor in Retrospect. I'm Carrie Rosen. And I'm Anne-Marie Navarre-Gill. This is our second of three episodes examining Jason Mezik's season of The Bachelor. So, let's jump in. And speaking of jumping in, the first episode of this four starts really abruptly. Like, Chris Harrison just shows up, he gathers the ladies... And he's like, okay, so there's going to be a group date, a one-on-one and a two-on-one this week. The one-on-one date will be earned by writing and performing an original love song for Jason. And you'll be performing them in 30 minutes. Good luck. <laughs> um, <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> why, did, why did this happen? Um, so, okay. This is something that I did some research about. Apparently, oh. this was a tradition on The Bachelor in this era. And they they did it every season. So it was actually something you could be prepared for. I did not do enough research to find out how long this had been going on or in what season of The Bachelor it started. Because it certainly, I don't think, happened in the only season that I've seen before this one, season one. Um, but I saw it referred to in multiple recaps as the annual karaoke competition or... The traditional songwriting competition. I think what made me feel worse about it was the fact that you had to earn the one-on-one date this way. Like, most of the time you just get a one-on-one date. Why not make this a group date in which you get a group date rose? That's what really bothered me. Yeah, like, there's a group date much like this on Crystal's season. Yeah. Um, which uh, cruise ship singer Carly does really well at. But probably doesn't win because it's never actually about who sings the best or writes the best song. It's about who he wants to take on a date anyway, which spoiler alert happens here. I feel like it absolutely had nothing to do with Molly and her song that he chose her. No, no. Um, So we see them all prepare for a bit. And Jason comes in. He's like, you know, when I did this on my season, I was the worst singer. But it's about opening up and having fun. Molly jumps up to go first. Her song is like cute and fine. I did notice she's wearing a tank top with a scarf. And that just feels like what weather are we dressing for here? Mm -hmm. Um, Shannon wears a sideways baseball cap and wraps because that's what Jason did on his season. Because, you know, Shannon's thing is knowing everything about Jason. Yeah. Shannon um, also refers to herself and her rap persona as Shanene. And shockingly, this is only the second cringiest time that a woman has referred to herself as Shanene in an effort to evoke racial stereotypes on The Bachelor. But, you know, we won't get to that, unfortunately, for like another 12 years of the show. (laughs) Years, years. Um, Our girl Stephanie, as our girl Stephanie is wont to do, makes some choices. (laughs) She starts by doing this kind of like Peggy Lee thing. And I'm going to sing where she goes, just you just you and then she got a huge operatic i can't do it just you but huge opera tones and everyone's like okay like what was that then lauren meanwhile has written a full-on song it has like a title it has a bridge the show even puts like extra background music with it to make it sound even more like a real song and she's the one who is like i did the best why didn't i win yeah, Lauren uh, really leans into uh, the Law and Order persona in this episode. Yeah, which I is, got, I got it. I understood her. I get it. Yeah, but it doesn't there, go great for her. There are no rules in the game of love, Lauren. You right, should know that, right, Lauren. <laughs> um, so Nikki goes up, and she all during the preparation, she was like crying and sad and freaking out because she hates singing. She's such a control freak. She can't open up and have fun. 
So she goes up and she says, her song isn't a love song exactly. It's a song she wants to sing to her baby one day. And the lyrics are basically, I'll love you always, little one. Nikki, this will come up again and again, really baby focused. I Nikki um, makes me so sad. I spent so, yeah. this whole time just being like, Nikki, love Nikki. yourself. You don't have to be a mom to have self-worth. It's really upsetting how much society has brainwashed Nikki into believing she's nothing until she pushes a baby out. So Jason ends up choosing Molly because like he wanted to go on a date with her anyway, clearly. The date card says, let's stay home tonight at my place and everyone screams with jealousy. <laughs> Molly and Jason has a fast food picnic and Jason wants to know more about Molly beyond the fun stuff. Molly says she's done a lot in life already and she's ready for the next step. She's 24, so I don't know how much she could have done, but like she has this intense Tracy Flick energy, so I like believe her more than I would another 24-year-old maybe. Uh, Jason says he gets lost in Molly's eyes. They're stargazing amazing. Then Jason has a surprise for Molly. It's a tent in a campfire. They change into comfy clothes. They make s'mores. Jason gives Molly the rose, but he doesn't want the night to end, so he invites her to camp out overnight. Wow. I think we all immediately thought of Katie Bigger and this last season of The Bachelor. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a date that, like, they rarely give it. It seems so out of character for The Bachelor because of their, like, rigid rules about when it's appropriate to have alone time. But, like, you know, Molly and Jason ended up married. And so maybe this is good news for Katie and Zach. Fingers crossed, guys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they did everything possible in Zach's season to emulate every successful Bachelor marriage in one way or another. So they're they're really trying to give them everything that Jason and Molly had, everything that, probably not everything that Ari and Lauren had. Um, They're kind of accidentally a success. Um, And everything that Sean and Catherine had. Well, and they're like... The thing that works about Sean and Catherine's marriage is the physical presence of Sean Lowe. So <laughs> let's just like bring him in. <laughs> um, so Jason zips them into the tent. We hear moans and lip smacking. And Jason says, you have super soft skin. These sound bites could have come from literally anywhere. But like, I'm going to assume it was great and sexy because and they're married now and I'm happy for them. Um, meanwhile, the rest of the women have received the group date card, which says, want to play doctor? Jillian, Lauren, Shannon, Megan, Melissa, and Naomi are going on the group date, which means Stephanie and Nikki are on the dreaded two-on-one. And the group date is to the set of General Hospital. They're like, wow, we walked in and they were filming a scene with Bradford Anderson and Kirsten Storms. Kirsten Storms is Xenon girl of the 21st century from the very popular Disney made-for-TV movie, Xenon Girl of the 21st Century. And I feel like if this had been millennials on this date, they would have lost their minds. Because, like, that, that, those, that was our, those are our movies. So they start doing little soap opera scenes, vignettes starring Jason opposite different women. The plot is, frankly, hard to follow. Um, the main story off the camera is that Melissa seems to be having a hard time watching mm-hmm. the other women kiss Jason in these scenes. Mm-hmm. Melissa, she consistently does this thing that really bums me out. She'll do this thing where she like puts on a big smile and a cute affect, but like really cuts down other women. And like there's this part where Naomi has a line 
where she says, I'm not a whore. And Melissa's like, I don't know. I disagree. And it's like really rude. I hated the whole section. I found this whole section with Naomi in particular, like very funny because for, okay, first of all, they dress my Latina sister as the maid. Of course they do. Um, But secondly, they kept, Naomi and Jason are making out very passionately. They have a lot of physical chemistry and it was so hilarious because they kept making them redo the scene. And it was so funny that they were like, acting like, oh, Naomi and Jason have to get this right before we can move on. And not just like making them make out over and over again because Melissa is losing her goddamn mind in the corner. There's nothing, like, I don't even think they're filming. I think they're just like acting out. They're not like making a short film of themselves on General Hospital. And so it was just so funny how they so, were like so manipulating So designed it. to destroy yeah. every, I think they were like, let's see who this can yes. destroy. And it happened to be Melissa in this case. Yes. Um, Melissa says this has really opened her eyes to how much she cares about Jason, that she's really fallen for him. And it must be that she's really fallen for him. And it couldn't possibly be that like being forced to watch someone make out with the guy you're like seeing for hours, like could get in your head. Mm -hmm. It must be that she really has feelings. So after the shoot, they have a rap party in Hollywood. I don't know where exactly in Hollywood, (laughs) but like every other date, it's just like some rooftop bar at a hotel. (laughs) But Jason says a lot of stars hang out there. The mood is bleak as hell and Jason feels it. A lot of women need assurance tonight and they seek it in different ways. Naomi sadly sits by herself. So Jason takes her aside and assures her there's something between them. I thought she really crushed this um, move. It was so good. Well, so Lauren, on the other hand, is like, I'm not just going to mope and wait for him to comfort me. She goes up to him and she's like, you better give me the rose tonight. And yes, moping works so much better. Yeah. I mean, so one thing that I think is kind of happening over the course of this episode and and Lauren is going around being like, I bust people around. Some people like to be dominated. Jason likes to be dominated and she's telling him what to do is that over the course of this episode, a lot of women are telling Jason what to do and it is making him very uncomfortable. And I think you really kind of see this, him kind of calculating in his head, this is irritating me that all these people are telling me what to do and trying and and trying to decide how he's going to respond to it in a way that doesn't make him look bad, which is how we get to the end of this episode. Yeah. In general, everyone is having a bad time this week, including but not limited to Jason Mesnick. <laughs> yes. Jason has time with Melissa, and in the vein of Jason's responding better to moping, for lack of a better word, Melissa cries. She says today was so hard for her, and she says, apparently I'm falling for you. And Jason loves it, and they kiss and kiss in this chair shaped like an egg. This interaction was wild to me because... Melissa is like kind of crying in a sort of exaggerated way and waving her hands in her face and being like, oh, you can't see me cry. And it was so soap operatic in a way that nothing on the actual soap opera date was. It was wild. (laughs) Well, I actually wrote here, I can't believe this is a winner edit because like she is cutting down the other women. She's playing it up with Jason. I'm interested to find out, which I think we will more next week, how the people at home are responding to her. Mm -hmm. Is this an era where the idea of, oh, man, she's breaking down because she loves him so much? Like, was that more of a revolutionary thing then? Because I feel like it happens all the time now. 
And I also wonder, because as you mentioned, I, I found her so dislikable, particularly in this episode, but through this whole run of four episodes, I found her very unlikable. And a lot of it is because she is trash talking other people. And we've talked about in other seasons how the person who is the hero kind of in this era of The Bachelor is often being mean to other women. And so was that like, I'm not like other girls. I'm not a girl's girl. Like, was that a a thing that people were viewing as a positive in the viewership of this show? Because it really, it was really off-putting to me. Or was like, was I'm not here to make friends a good thing until Courtney Robertson turned it on its head? Yeah. Interesting. This is why we do know. this podcast. It is. <laughs> and I'm I'm really interested because next week we're going to get a bit more into audience response to what's going on here. And I mean, as I talked about last episode, I was like, oh, having only seen the final episode, I was like so pro Melissa. But I, if I had watched the whole season, I don't know. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe I would have. I think like a lot of women in that period, I had drunk some of the not like other girls Kool-Aid. But whereas now- girls girl all the way um but i don't know this is a wild winner edit is all i will say yeah poor shannon gives jason a really huge emotional speech like she clearly knows she's not long for this for the season she throws a hail mary she's crying about how much she has to offer jason she says she's putting her heart on her shoulder (laughs) and she goes on and on and jason's like Thanks for coming out of your shell. And then he doesn't kiss her back because she has like crumbled napkin bits on her mouth. And this just like this moment, I was like, man, this feels like an eighth grade dance to me. This just had the vibe of like everyone's falling apart and miserable. And like part of the misery is just like everyone's misery feeding into each other's. And like people are bummed and maybe they don't even know why, but it's just because like the mood is so bad. Just like mm-hmm. for for a date in a place in Hollywood where celebrities hang out, this isn't super fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and Shannon's like, I'm not letting you let me go. Yeah. Yeah. Like another example of like people telling him what he should be doing. Yeah. Anyway, their like gross kiss with the napkins and it's not coming out of her nose gets like really immortalized later as like one of the oh, worst yeah. kisses in Bachelor history. I'm surprised Chris Harrison doesn't appear to like watch. <laughs> yeah. It's probably mainly what Shannon is remembered for today because it's appeared in multiple countdowns oh, sad. of bad kisses on the show. But, you know, Shannon, she's weird as hell, but I kind of like her. We, we love a weird queen. <laughs> um, so Jason gives the rose to Naomi because they made out a lot and she got vulnerable, which two things he loves. So meanwhile, Nikki and Stephanie have been hanging out at the pool in anticipation of their two on one. Nikki's like falling apart. Stephanie's like, I don't know. I'm worried because Jason seems to like dark hair and dark eyes, but she really doesn't seem that worried. The date card says, let's dance the night away. Stephanie is really excited and Nikki is not. Nikki mentioned several times how much she wants a kid. She wants to be a family. She wants a little munchkin on her, by her side. Again, I say, Nikki, you want a kid so much more than you want Jason. Mm-hmm. I hope it all works out for you. Yeah, she's like, I don't want to be a me. I'm tired of being me. I need to be a we. But when she says we and us, she means a child. Yeah. (sighs) Not Jason Mesnick. Um, So the two-on-one is at this garden terrace, which is covered with twinkle lights. Stephanie and Nikki wear elegant gowns that were left for them at the mansion. 
A woman named Deborah is there to teach them how to waltz. And Deborah does the thing the show loves to do, which is compare ballroom dancing to relationships. Sometimes you lead, sometimes you follow. Stephanie has never seemed more in her element to me. Mm-hmm. She used to be a ballet teacher. She has amazing posture. She loves the gown. She's wearing all this like glitter on her face. She can waltz. She's tall. She's confident. She loves to sing and dance. She's kind of horny. That's who Stephanie is. And like this, this date really crystallized for me. Like it's so unfair that they gave her that Legoland date because that's that wasn't about Stephanie. That was about being a mom. Stephanie's more than a mom. She's Stephanie. Yeah, I feel like we really on this date got to see more of kind of Stephanie's self outside of being a mom. It is an old timey type of self. She loves yeah. the waltz and dancing yeah. and acting like she well, is. Well, you know, in- she had a debutante ball that she prepared for, you know? Mm-hmm. Of course. But it really, she's really having a great time on this date while yeah. Nikki, Nikki is melting down and she says some incredibly unhinged stuff about how, but Stephanie already had a husband and sadly he died, which like she doesn't say it, but the clear implication is Stephanie already had her chance and it's my turn. She shouldn't be here. You know what though? I actually noted that and I that felt edited to me. The Nikki moment about Stephanie, I felt could very much have been someone saying, Hey, like, what's what's Stephanie's story? Can you, like, explain Stephanie's story to me in your own words? Uh, Nikki just depresses me in a way where, like, production has clearly tried to break her down. And I would believe that she said something like that because they really found her weaknesses and exploited them. Uh, I think she they kind of were trying to make her a villain, but she was too just, like, hard on herself to be a villain. Jason asked them how hard it would be to move to Seattle. Their answers are both extremely on brand. Nikki says it wouldn't be hard at all because she doesn't have anyone who depends on her. Stephanie dreamily says whoever she falls in love with, she'll follow him anywhere. Jason and Stephanie have private time, and she she gives one of her, like, Stephanie speeches about how a door opened. She walked through it. She says she's very attracted to him. She stares at him, like, in a sultry way, and he starts laughing. Um, finally, Jason's ready to give the rose. He says, Steph has a heart of gold. Nikki is sweet as can be, but he only has one rose tonight. Stephanie. I was kind of shocked because they just have no chemistry, but Stephanie was having fun on this date. So that makes sense. Yeah. I think he knew it wasn't really either of them, but it looks worse for him to send Stephanie home on a 2-1-1. So now we say goodbye to our first impression rose winner. Uh, Jason walks Nikki out. He tells us this is his first hard goodbye and the hardest decision he's ever had to make, which can't be true. He is divorced. Um, I know, he's a, some, he's a child. Surely there are some harder <laughs> decisions involved yeah. in that situation than sending Nikki home on a two-on-one. As Nikki drives off in the limo, she says, it's the whole not good enough factor. I try so hard to be perfect. I try to do everything right, but I'm rejected. <sighs> Nikki. I cannot stress enough how much I hope we don't see Nikki on Bachelor Pad, but I think we will. We will. Oh, we will. no. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> oh, Nikki. I, Stephanie and Jason uh, keep dancing. She says she really wants to kiss him, and Jason laughs again. <laughs> then they finally kiss. It, it's very strange. There's just no chemistry. But, like, she's, like, living in a romance novel, and he's like a normal. Yeah, I, I, it definitely, that's actually, I was a minute ago thinking that would 
be the best way to describe how she's behaving on this date as if she is in a ballroom dancing romance novel. Yeah, yeah. Like she's like the southern debutante and like she's looking for that guy who like looks totally mm-hmm. at her and they say like I'm so attracted to you, but Jason's like, "Hey, like remember when we went to Legoland?" Yeah, and because I still think that she kind of does seem like a civil war era vampire. Um, right. I I'm like I'm really envisioning the kind of like she's she's a southern debutante. Yeah. He's, he he's a northern businessman, you know. Yeah, yeah, a a Yankee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So now we're at the cocktail party. Everyone is still really down, talking about how hard this whole process is. Megan doesn't feel confident because she hasn't gotten one on one time. And Jason's like, well, you should always be confident in yourself. And like that kind of, that feels like it's over for Megan. Lauren again tries bossing Jason around. She's like, I'm mad at you for not giving me the rose. What did I tell you to do? And then she's like, you want to kiss me? And he's like, I guess. And he does. But it's just like, it's, it's terrible. It feels really bad. At the rose ceremony, so Molly, Stephanie, and Naomi already have roses. Jason gives a rose to Melissa, one to Jillian. There's one rose left. But then Jason's like, sorry, I can't do this. And he doesn't give the rose to any of them. He doesn't want to lead them on and he doesn't see forever with any of them. And Jason respects. Yeah. And it's I feel like he really kind of solved the dilemma you could see behind his eyes this whole episode, because as he rejects everyone who's left, he goes around and gives each of them like a very detailed compliment about why they're so great. But he's not giving away the last rose. And it's interesting. And I love a love a bachelor where you can see stuff going on in his eyes, uh-huh. you know? I mean, I have to say, at this point in this, I'm comfortable saying Jason is my favorite bachelor ever from a, like, liking of the person standpoint. Yeah. Um, we, well, I'll get into this later, but I agree. <laughs> so... We say goodbye to Megan, Lauren, and Shannon. And Megan, I think Megan thought that the last rose would have been for her. And I think, like, probably she was right. Mm-hmm. But why delay it? Jason toasts the five remaining women and says he will definitely be spending the rest of his life with one of them. <laughs> Cheers. Yes. Okay, but can we talk about the end of episode tag? Because this was the best part of this whole episode. Go ahead. Okay, so in the end of episode tag, Um, Lauren is singing another song that she's written and it is a song about how she wants to be famous and be able to buy everything and not have to make her own bed. And it's like, it's very, it's a funny song about being, wanting to be famous. Right. Yeah. The whole whole time the camera is on Jillian, who is making all of these faces being like, this is so shallow and nasty. I can't believe this girl is like that, but who's the bachelorette and a career HGTV host now, Jillian, Jillian, but that's, but that's why, because like, you can't say you want to be famous. You just have to be famous. (laughs) Exactly. I loved this. It was my favorite part of the episode. Okay, so now we're in episode five, and there are five people left. It feels very early in the season to have so few people. Chris Harrison comes in and tells the women everything is about to change. They're leaving the house to go to Jason's hometown of Seattle. And this here it occurred to me there are five women left. It's the last week before hometowns, and they're only just now going to Seattle. This is so much less travel than modern day. Like, by this point... 
all the girls got to go to London in Zach's season, and like he even had COVID, and they still got to do stuff. Yeah, I mean, so this is again, you know, The Bachelor's in a dip era here. They did a couple of sort of like those high concept seasons where they were in Europe for the whole season and whatnot, but mm-hmm. they are not operating with the kind of budget they had before and will have again. I think is is the way to read this because there's almost no travel on this season. Um, it's it's as little travel as basically as Michelle's pandemic season. I just feel bad for all the women who went home and didn't get to leave L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jason has a nice reunion with Ty. He, Jason says he's looking forward to seeing if the remaining women like Seattle and if they could fit here. He greets the women at their hotel, shows them their suite. Everyone's like, wow, what a beautiful hotel. And it feels like we're finally doing a little product placement. Melissa, who is wearing a tank top with a scarf, gets the first date card, even though Naomi hasn't gotten a one-on-one date at all yet. So we see Jason at his house getting ready for his date with Melissa. It's going to be a romantic evening where they go to the Space Needle and have dinner and see a waterfall. But then Ty doesn't want Jason to leave. He shuts Jason into his bedroom, doesn't want him to go. And I guess... Something I wondered here was for, like for a kid that doesn't totally understand what's going on, I wonder how much of this was about like the show and the camera crew. Okay, so this is what I thought watching this. They were never going on a date somewhere else. Are you kidding me? The date that he that's describes, true. the way that he describes the date that they are going on, that's not a real date. He's so over the top about like we're going to be on top of this like it's got to be so romantic. And, and it's so full of Seattle stereotypes. Like no, they were never mm. going on that date. This was a plan. Wow, I guess I'm kind of a space needle truther. So Jason ends up calling Melissa and asks her to come over. And he asks, acts like this is a huge sacrifice on her end, but all the women recognize that hanging out at Jason's house is like the ideal date. Melissa said she wanted to wear her stretchy pants now, but she goes over and she's still in the dress she was going to wear on her date. It's like this strapless dress. It has like this weird like clip thing in the bust. Did you notice this? It looked very uncomfortable. It's a snake. I I thought it was really cool. It was a snake? Yeah. It was like this little snake gem that the thing was grouped around. I thought it was cool. It it doesn't exactly lie correctly. And I was just going to say, something I like about this season and this era is like the women wear clothes like real women. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes things don't fit perfectly. Like it just feels like they they aren't like I got a brand deal so I get this whole outfit for free, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Like I definitely noticed this with Jillian's dress in the final three rose ceremony, which is a dress that my old roommate used to own and I have pictures of her in, which I was like, oh, that's cute. Yeah, I just, I like it was weird. Like at the same time, I didn't think it looked amazing, but I loved it Yeah, because it was real. Because, like, dresses sometimes lie weird on your bust. Yes. I have to say that, in general, Melissa's entrance into Jason's home really broke me because she walks in and she starts cleaning. Starts cleaning. Because Walt and Jason are nowhere to be found. I said she is giving Snow White. (laughs) She's never been in this person's house, and her first instinct is to start cleaning. Oh, it made me mad. Well, like, she is casting herself as the mom in this family. Um, so Melissa finally does change into her stretchy pants. They hang out, have a nice night. Melissa gets the privilege of gazing upon Ty while he sleeps. Jason says he wants more kids because of that feeling of unconditional love. Melissa's like, that's why I want to be a mom. And Jason gives a joyful sigh. The group date card now goes to 
Stephanie, Jillian, and Molly and says, open your heart because love in the, is in the air. Stephanie sings something. I don't remember what, but it's just like our girl loves to sing. Mm-hmm. So this means Naomi has her one-on-one finally. And the group date women meet Jason on a boat so he can show them the best of Seattle. Stephanie has time with Jason in which she's wearing a furry vest. Stephanie tells us she's moved into her relationship with Jason slowly, but she's glad because that's how you build a love that lasts. Whenever Stephanie tries to talk to Jason about their connection, he's like, man, how amazing was it when Sophia ran out and surprised you on her birthday? And that's all he really sees with Stephanie. Then the group goes to a radio station. Uh, Jackie and Bender, some married radio hosts from Kiss FM, want to help Jason decide who to take to hometowns. They interview Jason and the women watch from behind the glass, but aren't able to hear what he's saying. Jackie and Bender ask Jason what his most fun date was, and Jason says the most amazing date has been with Stephanie, surprising her with her daughter on her birthday. I love the way he's like, it wasn't fun, it was amazing. It has kind of like a volunteer work vibe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh. Wow, giving back like that was so amazing. Jackie asks Jason who the best kisser was, and he says Molly. Molly can tell from the next room that he just said her name, but she doesn't doesn't know why. Meanwhile, Melissa and Naomi are listening at home, and when he says the best kisser is Molly, of course, Melissa's like, he must have forgotten about me for a second, ha ha. Which, like, Melissa. Mm -hmm. Then Bender suggests a fun game where they blindfold Jason and bring in the other women to see if he can identify them through their kisses. Stephanie kisses his hand first, which, like, of course. Classic Stephanie. (laughs) Classic Stephanie. Uh, Jason guesses them easily. Then the women are interviewed about Jason. The host asks them the hottest thing about Jason. And Molly and Jillian say something similar. Jillian says his eye contact. Molly says he makes you feel like the only girl in the room. And that is a powerful quality. That's something that comes up again. And I think, like, it's probably something a lot of leads have that, like, we don't see and that's part of why they're chosen and we don't totally get it. Mm -hmm. But like, that's like, I feel like you'll meet an actor from time to time who has that charisma. My friend James once met Bill Clinton when he was like five and said, Bill Clinton was like that. (laughs) 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 Like I, it is good to know that he has that just kind of like charisma and just making everyone feel important and seen. Um, the hosts ask the girls what they're like when the lights go out in the bedroom. And like, I think they're all like, don't know how to say this, how to answer this, except Stephanie. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie says, whenever I'm with a man, I want to make sure he's completely taken care of. I mean, I have to kiss every square inch of him. I just like to kiss him all over, just love on him. And even this somehow eventually comes back around to remember when Jason surprised you with her daughter on your birthday? (laughs) (laughs) Let Stephanie be horny. (laughs) I don't know. See, I didn't think this was Stephanie being horny. I was, I had a much sadder interpretation of this, which is like, why? Because like the other two answer some things about sort of like wearing lingerie, being playful and like feeling intimate that are like about their experience. And Stephanie's like, I make sure the man has a good time. Yeah. Like Stephanie has said a lot of things like I was raised to take care of a man. I, when he comes home, I take care of like, she is very much like a woman's job is to take care of her man. But I do think she's horny because multitudes. I, I, I agree with that. I just think, I don't know. 
I feel like every time these women are sort of centering men in the way that they do things, I'm like, this makes me sad because they're so much more interesting themselves if they would just focus on themselves. But I think this is a sign of, again, of like how much we've kind of changed in a pretty short amount of time in the way that we as women are sort of socialized to talk about relationships. And I think that, you know, we, there is a lot more like focus on yourself, focus on your experience, focus on your pleasure. And I think that's for the better. Um, so the night portion of the day is at the Georgian. Like this is finally like product placement done right. They're like, we're here at the Georgian. Look, the food's amazing. It's so delicious. It's the best meal I've ever had. Look at these interesting dishes. Um, J- Jason grabs Jillian for an IT for a for a sidebar, and asks her what's up because she's felt different since I got to Seattle. I'm like, love that he can read a vibe. I looked it up. He is a cancer. We can read a vibe. You know, just, We're yeah, so good at vibe. it. Um, um, and it it does. It seems to me like what's going on in the background of especially this episode and the next one is like he is clearly telling that Jillian is not that into him. And he's, he's still pretty under her, but she is, I think, not into him and has gotten very far in this journey figuring that out because their connection initially felt like one of the most natural ones, but it sort of abruptly stops feeling that way around this point. And I think, yeah, he's reading a vibe. But I think also, and there there's so much more on this to come, but he's getting to a point where, and I wonder how much of this is producers getting in his head. He thinks anyone who isn't demonstratively like emotional and falling for him is not into him. And so like Jillian, I think like Melissa set the bar with like, I'm crying because it's been so hard for me to see you with other women. And now he's looking at the women who aren't as emotional that way. I guess I don't know if I agree with that because I would say that it's actually Molly who is the most emotionally reserved and they talk about this on multiple occasions, but he never seems to be in doubt of Molly in the way that he is of Jillian. And to me that comes down to vibes and the fact that Molly, despite being not that demonstrative is definitely really into him. And Jillian's kind of like, eh, so Jillian kind of gives the classic, it's getting harder, it's hard how much I'm starting to like you, and this is good enough for Jason. He asks who he'd meet at her hometown, and Jillian talks about her family, and I love the way she says family. I'm excited for you to meet my family. I sounded more British than she does. Canadian accents, love them, always. I'm always down for a Canadian accent. All the, all that, All those years of Degrassi, like... Nothing sounds more comforting to me. <laughs> Jason has time with Molly now. Tells She tells Jason her family is just like her. And she says mellow. And at the same time, he says sarcastic, which I loved. <laughs> and in, in general, you know, I'm a big fan of the work of Charlene Joint from Juan Pablo season. And she talks a lot in her various recaps about how frustrating it is that people are never specific about why they like each other. It's just like, I'm falling for you. You're amazing. But something I really like about Jason is that he has specific adjectives for what the different women are like. Mm -hmm. And whether he is telling them why he likes them or telling them why he's breaking up with them, he's always like very descriptive. And I feel like 
I don't know if this is something that's like him or all of those like deliberation conversations with Chris Harrison where they like draw out very specific quotes about the women and Chris is trying to get him to shit talk the women um, <laughs> are, are how he kind of developed that skill. But he does a great job of articulating yeah, specifics yeah. about each each woman and seeing them as individuals. Oh, good job, Jason. He's such a good bachelor. He's a really good bachelor. Um, Naomi's date card says, don't look down because you might fall in love. And of course, Melissa goes, or not. Ha ha ha. Like, Melissa, let Naomi have this for one second. <laughs> so they have their date. They go in a seaplane for a tour of Seattle. And I have to say, I'm not ever blown away by like the tons of aircraft dates on The Bachelor, but I thought this one looked nice. Yeah, I, I feel like a seaplane is is more interesting to me than just yeah. going on a helicopter. And there's a there's a rainbow. Mm-hmm. I could I could fall in love on that seaplane. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> then they go to a sporting goods store with a rock wall. That's where I'm like, never mind on this date for me personally. Um Naomi loves it though. She loves the rock wall. She's thrilled. Then they have fondue in front of a romantic fire. Are they still in the sporting goods store? I'd believe it. They have a pretty serious talk about Naomi's family. Her mom was 19 when she married her dad. She fell out of love with him and her dad didn't get over it for years. Naomi felt abandoned and resentful. She's scared of the parts of her mom she sees in herself. She wants the kind of stable family unit that she didn't have. She also wants to adopt kids. This feels like a very deep, substantial conversation, which is why it feels particularly unfair that the women back at the house are saying they don't think Naomi is right for Jason because she isn't as mature as the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about maturity? Because <laughs> what I don't think is mature is undercutting everything everyone says with like, you're a whore. Like, I don't want you to fall in love. Like, Melissa is being so distinctly immature, mm-hmm. but she talks so much about wanting to be a mom. And again, this is the really exhausting thing about this season is how being ready to have kids is equated with like value and maturity. It really is. And it always is on the bachelor, but like the thing with Jason being a single dad, it's like amped up by a thousand in this season. And I think similarly with Natalie, I don't necessarily believe Naomi when she says she's done with her fun twenties and wants to settle down. Although she did settle, actually settle down very quickly after this show was over. Um, But the way that the other women talk about her and especially like Molly and Melissa are 24 and 25. Naomi is 24. No, Melissa has Melissa had one year on them. She acts like they're all so young. Yeah. It's, it's very weird. And like, I don't love the way that Jason stereotypes Melissa either, like thinking that she's just a quote unquote fun ride. But, um, like the way that she cuts down the other women and their readiness is very strange to me. Yeah. It actually reminds me a lot of um, Tia on Ari season, who, mm-hmm. like, she was, like, 24, 25. Becca M was 22. But it was, like, she's so young, she can't be ready. And sure enough, Becca had a kid in, like, a year. And what I think is the next day, Jason skips rocks with Ty and contemplates his future. It's, re- it's really giving Sleepless in Seattle. And I actually thought this to myself and then remembered it actually is Seattle. Yeah. Which, like, that's fun. So it's very interesting thinking about the relationship between Sleepless in Seattle and this season of The Bachelor. Um, because there is some clear 
similarities. Um, on the boat date that he goes on with the three women, right, he points out the sort of like house that's the location from Sleepless in Seattle. Um, oh, right. While they're in the water. Um, but I don't want to talk about that house. I want to talk about the house that Jason has been in this whole time and whether that is Jason's house, because it is a house that is very clearly visually reminiscent of the house in Sleepless in Seattle. Oh. And while the women are making a very big deal about how this is Jason's actual house, I wasn't hundred percent sure. It looked a little bit like a set to me. It looks just like mm. the house in Sleepless in Seattle. It's right on the water. And when I looked into sort of like recaps that people were putting out at the time in Entertainment Weekly, Kristen Baldwin did write that she doesn't think this is his actual house because she says they've been marketing this season as the Sleepless in Seattle Bachelor. Now, at this time, a lot of the Bachelor seasons had kind of subtitles. Matt Grant, as you mentioned mm -hmm. a few minutes ago, was... London, London, calling. London Calling, the season after this with Jake Pavelka, The Bachelor on the Wings of Love. Um, this right. season doesn't have a subtitle. And I'm wondering if that is because they in not their mind- Sleepless in Seattle cleared? It was Sleepless in Seattle <laughs> and they couldn't get it cleared. Um, because if you look at the very first promo for this, for this season, um, it is, you know, it's kind of like, just like a montage -y thing. And Jason has one big talking head in it and he says in that talking head um i'm a single dad from seattle and i love my life in, in like a very tom hanksian affect um <sighs> over a daughtry song that's like kind of unromantic and about losing love which is a little weird until you know what's gonna happen um and, and like second chances so um the song is about second chances i mean so it I think there was a degree to which they were trying to implicitly market this as The Bachelor Sleepless in Seattle without calling it The Bachelor Sleepless in Seattle. And you know what else he says in this scene as he goes over to talk to Jillian? He says, I couldn't sleep last night. Yes. Um, almost everyone who was writing recaps that I can still find on the internet at this time titled their recap for this week, Jason is Sleepless in Seattle. So... It was in the ether, even if it wasn't in the official marketing. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Jason suddenly needs to talk to Jillian. He goes to the house to get her. He takes her to a cafe. He's basically like, you're strong when everyone else is falling apart. And she's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm just trying to be strong for my friends. And he's like, well, you should feel free to open up with me. And this is where I said, like, Jason is starting to feel, like, wary of women who don't get emotional. Yeah, I get that for sure. I felt like there was something here where he kind of felt like she was, like, too focused on making friends and not on him enough that I didn't mm. love. Um, but I really, I liked this scene on Jillian's side because I felt like she was kind of really articulating how supporting her friends and being there for everybody doesn't mean that she's not there for love and yeah. doesn't love him. It, she can do both of those things at the same time. Um, and I really, I really liked, I really liked Jillian's side of this scene. It was one of my, you know, I, as someone who feels very, very positively about Jason, it was one of my less favorite moments on his part. Yeah. But I, I just feel like there's probably something going on behind the scenes where it's like the producers are saying to him, I don't know, like you really need to get Jillian to open up because I don't know if she really is like feeling it. And then he's they're saying to the women, like Jason really needs you to show because all they want is for people to cry. 
So it just feels like we're starting to really ramp up into the like, it's a contest to see who yeah. can get the most emotional. So I've already introduced two conspiracy theories into this episode and I am about to introduce uh-huh. a third. Ooh. So what I <laughs> thought was going on both here and in a few scenes when he pulls aside Naomi for another talk, I think production really, really, really wanted him to take Stephanie to hometowns. And so they were making him sit down with the people who he had like any type of question with and like really feeding into his doubts about those connections to sort of see if they could get him to decide he was sure enough about one of them to keep Stephanie just for shits and giggles, even though he's obviously sure about Stephanie and has been this whole time that he really likes her as a friend, but not more. So, yeah, so he's saying, I think I'm going to send Stephanie home. And they're like, really? Because, like, I'm not sure about Jillian and it's just not working. Do you really think (laughs) Naomi's ready? And it's just he's not he's not getting there. Yeah. So Jason pensively looks out onto the water again. This decision is so important because it's not just going to impact his life, but also ties. Then Chris Harrison shows up at his house, which shocked me for some reason, like like seeing your teacher at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. It was just like Chris Harrison, like at a house. I it was surprising yeah. to me, and he does it again at the end of the fantasy yeah. suites episode. He's just at Jason's house. It's wild. Yeah, um, it just felt like they could meet at like a hotel or something. I don't know, but also this probably isn't his house. So, um, this, it's all production's house. <laughs> Uh, Jason and Chris chat and go over the women. It boils down to Melissa feels too good to be true, which is shocking for me to hear because like I had not felt that way, that that was what we were getting from her this no, whole time. I feel like she's very um, mean. I, I like I think she's true. That's all. I, yeah. I don't I think she is just good enough to be true. Yeah. <laughs> um, Stephanie is one of the most fantastic people he's ever met. He's very attracted to Molly. Jillian is fun and adventurous, but he wants to make sure there's she's there for him. The chemistry with Naomi is slower, but it's there. Chris is like, wow, yeah, like that's tough. See you tonight. Chris has nothing ever helpful. And I'm trying to think of if Chris has been helpful in the past to anyone else, but just specifically with Jason, Chris seems to not be having a good time. Mm-hmm. He just bails like immediately. Chris just um, doesn't like working, I'm telling you. He wanted yeah. to do as little as possible, and that's why we see less and less of him on the show over the years as his power on the show increases. Well, so now Chris does a thing, and like he'll he'll do this again and again. But like he just he does a little like intro to the rose ceremony. Like like he comes out, he's like, Hey, um, I just want to tell you before Jason comes out here, he's really been struggling with this. Okay, here's Jason. Yeah. <laughs> um So Jason comes in, and then he grabs Naomi for a chat. He tells Naomi they have a lot in common, but is she ready for the life he has? Because sometimes a date with him would just be eating popcorn and watching a movie. Naomi's like, yeah, that sounds great. Jason's like, okay. (laughs) They hug and go back. There's definitely, though, the theme emerging that we've talked about, that he thinks his life is too boring for Naomi, no matter how many times she explicitly tells him it is not. They return to the other women, and Jason gives out the roses. Jillian, Melissa, Molly, and Naomi. This is the end of the road for our eccentric queen. Mm-hmm. All the women take hands. Jason's like, I want to say this to everyone. Stephanie is the most amazing person I've ever met. They're, we're all better for having met her. Jason's crying. Naomi's weeping. 
Stephanie is so glad she could be here and if her story could reach anyone. Jason walks Stephanie out. He tells her he wanted it to be there, and Stephanie admits she could tell it wasn't. When she looked into his eyes, that look of being completely taken wasn't there. As Stephanie drives off in the limo, she says, if it's meant to be, it will be, and it's so close to being a pretty chill exit. Then she says, one day I'm going to heaven and seeing Steve again. And that's that's what they chose as her exit line. Again, that feels yeah. rude. So I, I, again, I think this is a good time. We've talked a lot about Stephanie this whole time to, like, check in with how the show has kind of not really known what to do with her as this prototype of the Emily Maynard character that they're going to use so successfully in a few years. Mm. And like when Jason is making this big speech about Stephanie and how like great he thinks she is. And he kind of talks in his ITMs about how she's someone he would want to have as a friend for life. I believe all of that because if you remember back to their date at Legoland, they had what I thought was the most interesting substantive conversation on the whole season about being a parent and about sort of like what, what your role is coming in as a stepmom and how to differentiate that from a mom. Like, I really think that they really connected on a conversational level. And the show clearly understands that she has this backstory, she has this connection, but then they're trying to straddle the line between presenting her both as an old-timey vampire and this, like, really sympathetic, deep person that everyone is really connected to. And I feel like maybe this is just, like, Stephanie's particular eccentricities as a person, but I feel like tonally the show could not choose which one of these things they were presenting her as, and that's why she's so confusing, because she goes back and forth wildly between these two things. And I think also, like, I don't think the show wanted to present her as, like, the sultry, like, like, like singing, dancing. That's just who she is. Mm-hmm. And the show re- refused to adapt to that. I think that's what the whiplash was. Mm-hmm. Like, they couldn't just let Stephanie be Stephanie. And honestly, like, I'm sure she's a wonderful person, but is she really such an amazing person that everyone's weeping? Like, what is it that she did? It's like, they're all just making such a big deal out of her because, like, her she's a widow, which is, like, Something that Emily Maynard will come to resent is like people making such a big deal about her story. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that's part of why Emily works better because Emily's story is something she that gets it. is something that happened to her, and Stephanie's story is who she is. Yeah. And Emily, Emily, don't. I, but I don't. I don't think it's who Stephanie is because Stephanie is like Stephanie has so many other weird qualities. <laughs> She she used to she used to teach ballet. They make it who she is. Yeah, you're right. That's a better way to put it. Because because because, she, because she's otherwise incompatible, not just with Jason, but with the entire Bachelor franchise. Right. Anyway, Stephanie is a real journey on this, and yeah. I, I look forward to talking about her again when we get a couple seasons down the road to Brad Womack's yeah. season. And comparing and contrasting. We'll miss you, Stephanie. And, then, and I'm sure we'll see her next week at Women Tell All. And they're going to, like, talk about her. Like, Chris will be like, Stephanie warmed America's hearts with her tragic story. That kind of thing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so that that's a wrap on Stephanie. Jason pulls it together. Toast to the week ahead. Going home with the women. Because it is time for hometowns. We ready for hometowns? Yes. <laughs> Jason's packing, and Ty suggests he bring 21 shirts. 
<laughs> I just liked that. <laughs> um, and so as he packs, we hear. I'm sorry. Va- that's just making me lose it. I need a second before we continue. <laughs> I've got to say, I did not catch that in, in, in the scene. <laughs> Really cute. <laughs> you know, Ty is somebody I would really like to talk to from this season. Yeah, I, what do you remember about your dad yeah, being the yeah. bachelor? Um, so we hear for one of a million times Jason's current rundown of the women. Jillian is fun and funny, but does she really love him? Molly is gorgeous. She pushes and challenges him, but he can't get deep enough with her. Naomi is a free spirit, but is she ready for a family? And his only concern with Melissa is, is she too good to be true? I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Again, Again, not team Melissa over here. um, But I just think like Melissa has a huge like, I don't want to say flaw, but she's so clearly deeply insecure about him and their connection. And... So it ha- it hasn't been perfect in swimming, you know. Like it's that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's doing a better job hiding that with him. I don't know. Um, so the first hometown is with J- Jillian in Kelowna, British Columbia. I thought this was they- interesting because they usually don't go to Canada. Um, Canada, if yeah. If someone is in the final four, they go to Arizona with Caitlin on Crystal season, just last season on Zach season. Um, Katie got the tremendous advantage of going to her own personal apartment in Austin, Texas, where they both lived. Um, And I thought I I wondered if maybe this was the first time they tried Canada and it was logistically difficult with like, yeah, crossing international lines and doing work there. And then they never did it again. But I thought it was notable that they did it this season. Yeah. I thought this was a wonderful hometown personally mm-hmm. they go to a winery in a volcano I believe um, Jillian says she needs to tell Jason something about her family in the 80s they were perfect they worked hard and play hard but then her mom was diagnosed with depression her mom and dad separated and got back together a bunch of times her mom attempted suicide she spent months in the hospital her mom has turned it around in the last few years is doing great Jillian feels so lucky her mom got healthy. Anne-Marie, how do you feel about how they handled this? It was interesting because something that I hadn't necessarily thought that we might be revisiting a lot in this podcast was the way that we've kind of shifted the way we talk about mental health in the last, you know, this century. And this really struck me as not the way that we would talk about depression or mental health in 2023. Um, Not in the sense that like, there was anything like overtly problematic about the way that she discussed her experience living in a house that was defined by struggles with mental health. But the idea, like the, the way that it's sort of painted as unusual and different. And also that everything was fine until she was diagnosed with depression. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's, it's, it's not like, Oh, I felt healthy, but then I went to the doctor and it turned out like the test came back depression. Like it's not, so, like, I mean, I'm when you're a kid, it's hard to pick up on that. Mm-hmm. But they really kind of treated it more like something terrible happened to the family rather than it's an incredibly 
normal part of life that people kind of deal with always. Yeah. And then the, even the idea that her mom overcame it, like it sounded more like she was talking about cancer than depression. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I, I think back like on a personal note to sort of like, I did spend the entire two thousands trying to convince my family that I needed to go to therapy and get antidepressants. And they were like, what is your evidence? And so I feel like, you know, I don't, I don't know if this was like sort of different in different places, but I think like in the two thousands, it was kind of seen more as a kind of event disease rather than I think today we take more of a sort of holistic and preventative and like over time that like we are always dealing with mental health. Many people have mental health struggles all the time. It's very normal to have struggles with mental health rather than treating it as this disruptive and temporary event. And I feel like thinking back to sort of the discussions that I was having around mental health with, you know, at this point I, you know, I was, I was a young teenager with my parents around this time. Right. I feel like they were also looking at it with the same kind of model that I see Jillian presenting here, whereas I had moved on to something else. And I think it is, it's clearly just sort of something that we've changed the discourse on in society in a lot of ways. But it definitely feels like right now it's being presented. And I don't know if this is a choice by Jillian or how she was encouraged to present it. It seemed as kind of like a, and then something happened possibly to avoid the idea that like this, it could be any obstacle in their life together going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they go to Jillian's family's house. Her family is wonderful. They wrap Jason in a Canadian flag. She's like a good energy. Jillian's mom Peggy wants to give a toast it's a it's a poem she recites and it's kind of goofy but like it's it's sweet uh then Peggy asks for time with Jason she does a little bit where she takes out a prop scroll and was like here are all the questions I have for you and it's like this long list but in this questioning we learn that Jason has a BA in psychology which is extremely exciting to learn Mm -hmm. and I feel like kind of tells you a lot about like yeah why he's working as a person because he is not and he is not a finance bro as -mm. so many bachelors are or a football player um Jason asks Peggy for advice on making a marriage last so long. And I loved what she said. She's kind of like, I don't know, like she like kind of fumbles with it. And then is like, life's a dance. You learn as you go. And I love this because I feel like there's so many bachelors where it's like, my parents have been married for 40 years. Like, what advice do you have? And dad's like, never go to bed angry. And like, if you and the wife disagree, like she's right no matter what. Like it didn't feel pat or like... Like she's not pretending she's an expert or has it figured out. And that makes me trust someone more always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This family as a whole, just great vibes all around. Loved him. Jillian's dad cries talking about how much he loves Jillian. Jillian's kooky grandma arrives and she has maple leaf boxers for Jason. It's great. And I will also say that this is where it occurs to me. What part of what makes Jason such a great bachelor. He gives good family probably because he's divorced. Like he has the experience of integrating into someone else's family and like Mm -hmm. having to pick up on their stuff. He's so good at that on all of these dates. Even, even Naomi's, which we'll get to. Yes. (laughs) It makes me feel like every bachelor should be divorced because like so many of them are so like freaked out by meeting Mm -hmm. other people's families. I want to note that as they're leaving, Jillian says she feels like she's a great get for Jason. 
Okay. And this is mm-hmm. why I think that my thing that Jillian is just kind of like not into it is there because I just feel like as much as Jillian is just like such a bachelorette and framing herself as a great get, it shows why she's going to be so great at being the bachelorette um, in her yeah. truly iconic bachelorette season. It does. I, I feel like the way she phrases it shows the disconnect that is developing, even though she's going to move past this week. Interesting. Jason just loved the date and says he can't imagine another family date going so great. Um, next is Grand Rapids, Michigan from Molly's hometown. Jason meets her at a country club and after teasing it since the premiere, they finally go golfing. <laughs> Mo- Molly thinks it's so sexy that Jason can golf. They keep replaying Molly's in the moment that Molly had a boyfriend her parents didn't like, so now she can never date someone her parents don't like again. They bring this up so many times, and it never matters. Not even a little bit. Like, it's clearly like trying to create false stakes, but they don't even really manipulate us to think that her parents don't like him. No. To To what end? So we meet Molly's family. They're definitely very country club. They are pleased Jason has taught Ty how to golf. Um, Ty is three. Let's just remember that. Yeah. But they're also fun. And we see this because Molly's mom has something fun planned. And it's that they're going to wear funny hats. (laughs) I I thought you would get a kick out of that. I know you love a funny hat. Yeah. Well, but then here comes what I think is our winner for what's aged the worst. Mm, Is that they they have Jason wear an... Indian headdress <laughs> and they call and they say you're the chief mm-hmm. and he's just he's a good he keeps it on he's a good because he's a good sport but he just kind of like the rest of the scene is wearing this headdress and it feels silly and then Molly's sister comes and they enter the door and she's like oh are we wearing hats <laughs> it's like <laughs> but it was great she because too wears you a hat. can tell like this is that these are actually people that like wear funny hats this was not like a bit they but it's like wear, for tv wear wear hats and do what just like let's wear hats and sit around <laughs> yes i mean i feel like it is very like country club vibes to just have the hats be the whole activity well won't it won't it be a lark if we put on a funny hat <laughs> Um, so Jason goes off with Molly's mom, Marianne. Marianne has him draw a memory of Molly, and he draws her with a big smile because she's always able to keep smiling during rose ceremonies, even when she's nervous. But then we see Molly with her dad, and this is one of the most revealing scenes in Bachelor history. I This scene stopped me in my tracks yeah. because we've been seeing this family, and they're so fun and congenial, and they all like each other, and like everything's so great and then we see this scene and now I understand why (laughs) Molly's dad says he knew that she'd make it this far because she's a winner and he asks her to promise him no matter what happens do not cry and Molly's like yeah I know he's gonna say do not cry and just he says just smile through it in the limo and now this makes me look back on two seconds ago when Jason said how Molly can always keep smiling no matter what no matter how nervous she is and it makes me sad now it does. This is how she was raised. It really reframes the whole thing, even the funny hats, as them being very invested in the project of putting on a put together image as a yeah. family. No emotions. Like, be positive. We're going to appear fun now. Yep. 
quick, put on a hat. This scene was so dark and it was not played as dark. It was played as kind yeah. of funny. As normal. And normal, but it was so dark. So ultimately, everyone feels this went well. Jason wearing a headdress and drawing a picture showed Molly's mom everything she needs to know. Molly and Jason have a hard time saying goodbye to each other. Molly says she wants to let herself go and be vulnerable with Jason, but it's hard. Molly, probably because you were raised to never show weakness. <laughs> okay, so now we're in Lake Elsinore, California with Naomi's family. Naomi says her priority is making sure Jason knows she's ready for a family because no matter how many times she tells him that he doesn't seem to believe her. Naomi says her family is interesting and she's not sure what her mom has up her sleeve. Naomi's mom, Joanna, I think could be played by Michaela Watkins, right? Yeah, it is those vibes. Yeah. Yeah. She lives up to her loose cannon reputation. She brings out hula hoops and they all hula hoop, which kind of feels performatively wacky like the hats. So next comes what is probably the most memorable thing about Naomi and her her time in her hometown date. Naomi's mom shares that a dove flew into her windshield and died, and she brings out the dove to have a funeral for the dove. She asks Jason to give a eulogy for the dove, which they named Rosie. He says, he's such a good sport, he says, uh, we could agree that Rosie has touched us all in ways that we could never imagine. Mom thanks Rosie for sacrificing herself for this moment of celebration of life. Next, we have a scene that I did not remember at all, and I think is actually what is the big moment of this hometown date. And I, I have so much to say about this, so, but describe what is going to happen. Um, Jason talks to Naomi's dad, Hector. He said he isn't proud of his divorce, but when we can rise through those things, how do we do it? For him, it's been through Jesus and the Lord. Does Jason have a background in that? Jason says, I don't, and we know that's because he's Jewish. But he doesn't say that. If he does, it's not shown in the show. I think that he did say that because there's like three separate places in this conversation where they cut off his face while he is making words to make another sentence. And I think that they took it out. Interesting. Hector says, we raised Naomi through that biblical perspective, which may be something that you might want to think about some more. There's lots of religions out there in the world, but there's only one God. And when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, I believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. Jason is full on wincing. Hector then asks Jason his definition of marriage. Jason is really trying to skew this conversation away from Jesus. He says, I want to find someone I'm going to be with, not because it's a ring or a piece of paper, because I choose to, not because I have to. And Hector's like, yeah, totally. I think the most beautiful representation of marriage is the presentation that Jesus gives in the Bible. And if you don't have an inner strength in the Lord, and thankfully, Naomi's mom extracts Jason in this moment. And Jason says in his ITM, well, today I learned Hector loves Jesus. Anne-Marie? Okay. So I have so, so much to say about this hometown date. Um, you know, obviously, Naomi is the one here who is, I think, fairly getting the weird family um, hometown edit, which every every year there's one hometown that's edited as kind of disastrous. That's not necessarily an indication of whether you're going to do well or not um, in the coming rounds. But Naomi gets that this year. And I think the thing that we're really bumping into in this is that they are really not letting the negotiation of different cultures play out on of, of people coming from two different cultures play out on this date because neither Naomi nor Jason 
come from the sort of white default Christian background that The Bachelor tends to kind of prioritize in its vision of what the heterosexual script looks like, right? And Mm -hmm. so they never at any point in any way address the fact that Naomi um, is Latina, that her family are obviously, um, you know, come from this background. Her father has a distinct, although like not that thick accent. Um, And so- To me, the particular ways that this family was presented as weird, for the most part, did not come across as ethno-racialized in the way that a lot of our depictions of, you know, for instance, like thinking back to Raquel earlier in the season were. Um, But the the one thing is sort of the mixture of intense Jesus plus sort of more woo-woo beliefs that might have more in common with indigenous spirituality is a pretty Latino Mm -hmm. thing. Um, I Mm -hmm. can't speak that much to whether Joanne's particular set of beliefs have any relationship to indigenous spirituality because my family is personally extremely colonized into Jesus, only Jesus. Um, But so you have this situation, right? And we discussed how Jason is not shown mentioning that he is Jewish, right? And Mm -hmm. um, you have this discussion between Hector and Jason where what they're really talking about is this meshing of culture where they're not letting either culture be named. And it's so very weird uh, because if you think about, you know, some sort of like more contemporary dating shows, like if you think about sort of like on A Love is Blind, you have people like Lauren and Cameron talking about racial and ethnic differences. You have in an example that didn't produce anything productive but was great TV, on a different season of Love and Blind, Shayna, who was very Christian, and Kyle, who was an atheist, talking through religious differences and how when they introduced each other to their families, that created a lot of conflict that they had to work through in those scenes. And so we clearly have this conflict between um, Jason being Jewish and this religious belief in Naomi's family, as well as the fact that they are culturally different, where they're not letting us talk about who either of them are. And so it's just purely uncomfortable uh, because they've taken out sort of any sort of specific or identifying detail on both sides. And I think it really like, it's a really interesting conversation in making a relationship work, how you negotiate those differences when you're with someone who is of a different background or a different set of beliefs. But they don't let us do that. Like, But what bugged me, though, was that then Hector goes to Naomi and says, so I talked to him about your Judeo-Christian upbringing. Naomi's like, I don't really care if we have the same religious beliefs. She says their hearts are compatible. Like, like they have clearly, she feels they share values, their hearts are mm-hmm. in the same place, and like they're like, that that doesn't matter to her. She also says, though, that she wishes that they had talked more about their beliefs coming up to this yes. point. But I did think I Hector's use of the phrase Judeo-Christian in that scene set off a big red flag for me personally. I'm not mm-hmm. I know I'm not the Jewish one in this conversation that we're having, but I was like, he seems to be completely invalidating Judaism implicitly in what we saw in the previous yeah. scene. And now he's putting them together to say this is who Jason is not that troubled me like well, more than anything thing, else that I saw. I in these don't feel I'm expert enough in religion to really get into this, but he says there's lots of religions out there in the world, but there's only one God. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess I took that to mean kind of like, like, I mean, it is our God. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's why maybe he took the Judeo-Christian, like, and he was able to say to Jason, oh, but obviously it is God is God. (laughs) The Judeo-Christian God is the Judeo-Christian God. Yeah. So maybe he came to that as, as like a way to sort of like say this difference wasn't as big, but because they've cut out this mention of Jason being Jewish through the whole thing. To me, it read as him invalidating it. Maybe if the show hadn't hadn't cut Jason cut Jason saying anything about his own identity, I wouldn't have read Hector that way. Yeah, but also I'm gonna be reading my transcript. He says there's only one God, and when Jesus says I'm the way, the truth, oh. the life, it's he's he's anyway. very into this. Jesus. This just like it was upsetting to me on a lot of levels, and it just felt like as as a dating show these are some of the most productive and interesting conversations that people have when they're navigating relationships. And I just feel like your product would be so much better if you looked into it. But on the same token, I am frustrated that so much airtime is given to this when it isn't something that Naomi is as passionate about or so she says. And I wish she had a chance to talk herself to Jason about it. My read of Naomi based on previous episodes is that she has kind of some of the, you know, and Joanne's talking about reincarnation and injustice and premonitions and whatever she was saying about indigo. I don't understand. And she says, but she's an indigo adult. Yes. And so I feel like Naomi has in previous episodes both referenced her faith being important to her. And some of these more, let's call them woo-woo ideas that her mother espouses. And so I feel like Naomi actually is an example of how you blend these things, right? Yes. She's clearly spiritual overall. Yes. And that's something that both her parents have in common. Though I, That said, I absolutely see why these two couldn't make it work. Yeah. I mean, I think this clearly showed that this was not going to work, this hometown Nate. In a, uh, to me, this was oh, the yeah. this was the most obvious hometown elimination I'd ever seen. But I just, I just, I just felt like it could have been more interesting. And I feel like in the sands of time, his history says that Naomi was sent home after a hometown date in which her mom had a dove funeral. And I think this part of it was probably a lot more impactful to Jason. I agree. So the last hometown is Melissa in Dallas. Melissa reveals Jason will be meeting some of her best friends. Her parents weren't comfortable with the publicness of this. Her dad said he couldn't be himself in this setting, which, you know, I I understand. She isn't sure why her brother isn't coming. Jason is kind of thrown, and Melissa is, of course, worried this will put her at a disadvantage since he's meeting the other women's families. So they have dinner with a bunch of Melissa's married friends and their kids. It's very annoying. They're very like like in Bridget Jones, like the smug marrieds. <laughs> One of the guys is like, I hope this works out because we're tired of having Melissa as a fifth wheel. I know. That's so they, douchey. That awful. And look, they're all 25. <laughs> How long could this really be going on? They've hated all of Melissa's exes. They love to give her a hard time about how she doesn't know her own worth. It was very condescending. Also, I'm again going to point out that Melissa is to this day married to one of those exes. So jokes on you, bro. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. Um, Jason asks the friends what Melissa's parents are like, and the friends don't actually remember if they've ever met the parents. 
And Jason thinks that's a little off because they are her best friends. I, I know not everyone's close mm-hmm. with their family, but Melissa keeps saying she is close with her family. And also they live right nearby. Mm-hmm. And in the next episode, she says she sees her parents like three times a week. Yeah. I mean, so I was questioning because like, you know, in the way that you do when you're watching The Bachelor, right? Like, I'm always like, I, although my relationship with them has gotten a lot better in the last couple of years, I'm not close with my family, like, at all. And I always think about how The Bachelor presents that as sort of a weakness a and a character flaw. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, right, like, whether Melissa is covering that she isn't close with her family by just you know, or whether she really is close with them and they just didn't want to be on TV because both of those are reasonable explanations. But the fact that the friends don't know them and like that, that Melissa keeps these parts of her life so separate, right? It rings to me that we're not getting the whole story. And I think that's like totally Melissa's right to like not share whatever that story is on television. It just is, it, it just is weird because it's clearly playing into Jason's calculus in a way that like I tend to think is not fair but like also I'm projecting. No, I mean, this show has a storied history of your, like your relationship with your family equals you, your parents' marriage equals you, your grandparents' marriage is a reflection of you. Um, And another thing Melissa says that like kind of makes Jason unnerved and later they're having a nightcap at Melissa's suite and Melissa's or her parents are very private. They don't even come to her Cowboys games. And that is like, that's not privacy. Like it's not like that's not being on TV. Mm-hmm. That makes me think, I wonder if they, perhaps they don't like her, like kind of the sexy dancing. Like mm-hmm. it might be kind of like a, she's dancing on TV or she's dating on TV. It might kind of be like an austerity. They don't approve of Melissa's lifestyle kind of thing. Cause you know, this is not the first TV show Melissa has been on because she was on Dallas. Oh really? She was on Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders before this. Um, Hmm. So maybe that's why they didn't go to her games too. Cause they also could have been on TV for that one. Well, um, Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders doesn't really like it's it's a show about auditions for the Dallas Cowboy oh. Cheerleaders, um, and it's much more documentary style. It's not it's not really dramatic. Well, it's what's well, funny. So Jason says Jason's like, "Wow, you seem really different from your parents." And Melissa's kind of like, "Oh, I don't know what you mean." Like, I'm. She says she's nurturing like her mom and adventurous like her dad. But I can see why Jason feels that way if they won't be on TV and she's mm-hmm. someone who's appeared on multiple television shows. Yeah, and he specifically digs into her saying her dad is adventurous, and he's like, so he does have that in him. So like, Jason is clearly perplexed by the story that Melissa is putting forward, and that's why I question whether it's a true story. And if it's not a true story, it makes me sad because I feel like you should be able to kind of authentically talk about your home life if it's more challenging um, in that way. Um, Not to center Melissa's story on Jason, but I did love how he's like asking questions about her family, trying to put together clues. What makes you this way? What about your parents? That that's our psych major. Yep. Uh, (laughs) I really he's he seems so much easier to have a conversation with than. 99% 99% of Bachelors. I really like him in the role. I love him. Yeah. So anyway, they end up making out. Everything seems fine. 
Um, then Jason's back in Seattle. He has a completely useless talk with Chris Harrison. I'm not even going to describe it. When we go to the rose ceremony at the Fairmont Olympic where you had a conference, Chris welcomes the women back to Seattle and just wants to let them know Jason believes one of them will become his wife. Now here's Jason. <laughs> Jason comes out and gives roses to Molly, Jillian, and Melissa. Unsurprisingly, Naomi is going home. Naomi exits. She said she would have moved to Seattle in a heartbeat. She wants to have a family. She wanted to have a place to call home. She has no idea where she goes from here. I think Naomi's going to do great. but And I hope I hope she's found that stability that she wanted. She did. She found it so fast. We'll talk more about that next time. Yeah, I'm happy for her. Jason returns to the other women, says he's excited to take them to the most beautiful place in the entire world, New Zealand. And wow, so L.A., Seattle, and New Zealand, that's a huge leap in travel. So in our upcoming episodes promo, they tease the most dramatic ending and like bachelor, like a huge dramatic twist. But then they, I thought this was going to be our first hint of things going awry with Jason and Melissa, but they actually make it look like it's going to be Deanna showing up. And I think we know that actually is going to mean nothing. Yeah. And so something that is interesting is that, um, while for a while there has been some kind of swirling rumors on the internet, and we'll talk more about kind of the trajectory that those took, that something has gone awry with Jason and Melissa. We'll talk more about that trajectory next week. Um, but this week, after the airing of this episode and before the airing of the Fantasy Suites episode that we're going to talk about next, um, ABC and Mike Fleiss announced that they have ordered an additional episode for this season of The Bachelor and that the ending will be the most dramatic ever. And so this week in between these two episodes is the week where we transition from the show doing business as usual to letting the audience know that something is coming. And you're going to see, we'll talk about this in a little bit, that there's a very strong contrast between the the preview of the rest of the season that comes at the end of this episode and the one that comes at the end of the next episode because ABC and the franchise change their messaging this coming week in between these two episodes. But there is to say there is a big chance. Melissa was at home watching her hometown date and things have already started to go badly with Jason. Yeah. Okay. Fantasy suites. <laughs> Jason packs for New Zealand and yet again thinks about how amazing the remaining women are. Jillian is so wonderful and funny, but he doesn't know if they have that romantic connection. An attraction with Molly was there from the start. He could gaze into her eyes all night. Jason was leery of Melissa because she looks like Deanna and his ex, which I actually don't think we've heard before. Mm -hmm. But their relationship really progressed after she got emotional about sharing him with the other women. But he and Melissa need to have a serious conversation about why her parents weren't there for her last week. So now we're in Queenstown, New Zealand for fantasy dates. First date's with Jillian. He picks her up in a helicopter. They fly over mountains. They land on a ledge overlooking New Zealand and are freaking out about how there's nobody else around for miles and miles. But I imagine there's an entire crew there. Or at least like a couple people in a camera. <laughs> anyway. Have <laughs> they have a picnic on the ledge. Jillian in her ITM says she's looking for a relationship like her grandparents were their best friends. But in his ITM, Jason says he used to think he wanted to marry his best friend, but now he wants more than that. Which, like, 
I know this is impossible because this was so many years early, but feels like shade to Zach Shalcross, who <laughs> constantly talked about wanting to marry his best friend. And I, I like Jason being like, that's just the thing people say, but like it, this, it doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> um, they have a night date at a rustic winery, which is not unlike the winery they just went to in Canada. Uh, Jason asks Jillian how she's feeling about him. She says she's crazy about him. Jason reveals the fantasy sweet card from under a napkin. Jason and Jillian, welcome to the beautiful country of New Zealand. We are hoping you enjoy your stay. Should you choose to forego your individual rooms, please use this key to stay here as a couple in the fantasy suite. They don't say from Chris Harrison, which made me happy. I was like, oh my God. So that was an invention that came down the road. I feel like it comes very soon. Well, spoiler alert, in Melissa's, you see the card does is signed by Chris. Oh. But the important thing is they're not obligated to say it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So um, that was, that's a big change. And I think, yeah. Plays to how Chris is in a little less power at this time than he like, yes. will have later. They change into bathing suits, bring the champagne. They go in the hot tub and have an incredibly long steamy makeout. And they're both to talk about how hot it is. For Jason, this is really taking them from friends to that passionate connection. We end on them in the hot tub. There's not like some other seasons have done like a kind of coy closing of the door. Some seasons have done like a morning after scene. This is just like we leave them in the hot tub. I felt like I noticed on this date that the fantasy suite music was so much pornier than Mm. it is in the modern day. It was very, very like cheesy synthy like in a way that I haven't noticed in a long time and especially on Jillian's date Hmm. well I mean I think back then I mean I'm interested to see how fantasy suites develop over time but like there was more of a like we know that they're gonna have sex but we're not gonna talk about it and now it's like a plot point of like the semantics of like who you have sex with and what you say to who and like and and it's so much more serious and such yeah. a big part of things that like you can't you can't put porn music on that. Take me back to this era, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Make the bachelor <laughs> prudish again. I don't want to hear. Well, but it's like it's not prudish though. It's like like it's it reminds me of like, you know how like in the twenties it was like every actor in Hollywood was just like having sex with everyone, like male, female, and like it was just it was actually a much wilder time, but there just like wasn't publicity, so no one knew. Mm-hmm. So everyone, like this this is what the bachelor's like. Yeah, it is that it's just I felt particularly in the last season of The Bachelor just truly fatigue with how everyone is like discussing that you have to just disclose every detail. Yeah. And like the, the to me the transparency has gone too far. And has come yeah. back around to be even more judgmental. And this this coyer way of doing it, I think, is a little more tasteful. I don't know. Yeah. Make, make, make Bachelor coy again. <laughs> <laughs> so next is Molly. They're going bungee jumping. It's raining. That does not feel fun to me at all. But Molly's a good sport. She indulges in one of the Bachelor's favorite things of comparing bungee jumping to falling in love. It's a huge leap of faith. Luckily, it's not like either of them has a horrible fear of heights. They jump. They have a great time. Next, we see them at a meal that seems like breakfast to me. 
And Molly, like Jillian's mom, has a huge scroll, like a prop list of questions to ask Jason. But I, I thought this scene was very fun. It's like rapid fire, like, what's your favorite food? What's this? Like, his favorite food is hamburgers. His favorite place in the world is Greece. If he could go to any concert, it would be an Elvis concert. She asked if he could have any job, what would it be? And he very thoughtfully says, the president, because I could really change things. <laughs> oh, Jason. <laughs> Jason. They're laughing, having fun. I, Carrie Rosen, am having a great time. So later that night, they have a date and they're drinking wine by a fire and talking. And this is where I, Carrie Rosen, in my living room went, am I falling for Jason? (laughs) (laughs) He's making such great eye contact. He's just like really focused on her. I was like, ooh. And I realized like I think binging the show at this level, like watching it so much in order so close together and paying so much attention, you know, because we're not on our phones. Like, I think this is the closest an audience member can have of the feeling of being on the show where all I'm doing is looking at Jason Mesnick, thinking about Jason Mesnick, (laughs) hearing what a great guy he is. And I'm like, I think I'm falling in love with him. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can see that. I would say, like, I, I really like Jason. I have been growing attached to and really getting lost in Molly's eyes personally. Like I, I'm finding mm. my, I Molly. I mean, as you said many times. Yes. Like I'm finding Molly very beguiling in a way that like, I don't think that I would in real life, but you know, I'm, I'm into her. But I also, like, I mean, the two of them together are great to watch. Mm-hmm. And, but I wonder how much is the bias of knowing that they end up together and are happy for so long. So it's like it feels like this intimate, like being part of their courtship dance. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. He really he just he he he's everyone's right. His eye contact is stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I they I love watching them together and it is hard not to look back on it with bias, but it's certainly like it their relationship feels real to me in a way that many relationships on the bachelor don't and notably like one of the only other bachelor relationships i felt this way about was sean and Catherine, and so like that watching it felt like you were seeing a relationship start but i also have only watched those seasons with hindsight bias so i don't i don't know if i would have noticed that at the time i think all successful bachelor couples need one person from seattle Mm, maybe Catherine, Jason, and Chris Siegfried, right? Oh, yeah. But, like, what about Rachel and Brian? What about, um, I guess maybe it's just The Bachelor, not The Bachelor. What about Ari and Lauren? Nobody's from Seattle there. Maybe some ancestors were. I don't know. I just think, like, (laughs) Seattle comes out looking really good on The Bachelor and on Frasier. So then, man, this is, I really start to fall for Jason here. He says he noticed that... In like when he was with her family, the other couples didn't really sit very close together. And while he likes to be affectionate, I love that he noticed that. (laughs) Molly says they're not a mushy gushy family, but just because they don't act like it doesn't mean they don't feel it. And I think this is actually not to be reductive. This feels like a very Jews Jew meeting a wasp family. You Uh know, a hundred percent. Yes, I had that thought as well. And and this is where I wish he could be more Jewish, like. As a Jew, like, yeah, I think it's weirder to go into a family and have them be a little bit like, let's play golf and wear hats. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
So in an extremely prescient moment, Molly asks Jason if he's afraid he'll pick someone and down the road realize he should have picked someone else. Where did this come from? Is Melissa, what's going on? Like, is Molly tipped off that it's looking like Melissa? What hap- What do you think this is about, Anne-Marie? I mean, not to let my, you know, shield of academic distance and cynicism fall apart, but I was like, Molly really sees Jason. Yeah, she really does. <laughs> I love their love. <laughs> that, that was that was like I I obviously, right? Like I'm thinking about sort of like as I as I said in our lead up to this episode, right? Production has changed their messaging. They're starting to tease what's coming. The decision to include this line in the episode is very calculated. But as for Molly actually saying it, I attributed it to love. I'm sorry. But also, like, she did really say it. Even if they included it as a choice, it doesn't seem to be faked. Right. That's why I'm drawing a distinction between Molly saying it and it being in the episode. Because Molly said lots of things that aren't in the episode. Presumably. To this day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this was a fascinating moment. But I do wonder if she, on some level, is worried that he is falling for... I don't want to say falling for like she's, but you know, she's, she's lived with Melissa. She probably knows that she's not right for him, but also that she's come really far. Mm -hmm. That is, I think part of it. I also think that like Molly, Molly, I think, and we'll get to talk about this a lot more next week. Molly is very strong in her conviction that they are right together. But even at the previous rose ceremony, when he pulled off Naomi, she was like, oh, no, I'm going home. So I think yeah. I think she's in a place where she is very sure that this is the guy for her. But both because of the circumstance and just like, you know, probably life experience isn't isn't as convinced that he sees the vision the way that she does. And so she's waiting for him to see the vision. That's my read. Of and it. also, I think she also probably has producers in her head going, the other women are able to show their emotions more. Like you need to Uh show your emotions more. And she's starting to worry. Like she's being told the other women are going to get ahead of you because they're better at showing their emotions. Yes. And I mean, God, this show is good. I think (laughs) look, production had a hand on this, but I'm not going to lie. I, I viewed this, I viewed this coming from her as a really strong sign of their connection and coming from producers as a really strong sign that they know how to make a show, damn it. Yeah, they really do. Um, Molly says she knows there are two other girls, but she wants to let him know she wants to be with him. She thinks she's falling in love with him. And everything changes for Jason after this. He says she looked at him and kissed him differently. He tells her he cares about her a lot. And then Molly reveals one last question from her earlier Q&A session. She pulls out a card that says, since you already asked me to spend the night with you, I'd like to invite you to spend the night with me because I'm falling in love with you. He kisses her. And I say, good for her. And for someone who is, like you said, as, as short in her convictions and probably a bit of a like control craving person, it must have felt good for her to take the reins on this. Mm-hmm. Like, this has to be the only, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Is this the only time in Bachelor history where the lead was invited to a fantasy suite? Yeah, I think it might be. We'll see. But it definitely was a little bit of a format break that, again, I think, like, speaks 
speaks to their connection for me. Yeah, yeah. They put on their bathing suits, have champagne in a bubble bath, and we say goodnight to them. The last date is with Melissa, and the bar is set high for her after his great dates with Molly and Jillian. They go to a boat, which Jason says used to belong to the Prime Minister of England, Winston Churchill, and Melissa's immediately like, Winston Churchill! And Jason's impressed. Melissa points to her head and says, not just a hat rack, but (laughs) Anne-Marie, I am suspicious here. Because there is more than one prime minister of England. How did she know this was not Margaret Thatcher's boat? (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I feel like somebody told her what it was. Right. But that's what I think she knew already and then pretended it was like a being smart moment. Which, again, I don't doubt that she knows who Winston Churchill is. It's just like, you know, maybe it was Tony Blair's boat. There's... Plenty of prime ministers. It's, it's true. <laughs> Jason asks Melissa if she's talked to her parents, and Melissa hasn't, and she says she doesn't understand why they wouldn't want to be part of this and see how happy he makes her. So this was interesting for me because I'd kind of assumed that Melissa knew all along if she went to hometowns, her parents wouldn't want to come. But this makes me think that she only found out when she got to hometowns that her parents didn't want to be there, which I feel like probably is really upsetting. Yeah, that actually, I think, that that was how I read this as well, that she didn't know until production tried to contact them, and then they were like, no. And obviously she hasn't been allowed to call them or anything, so she really has no idea. And I think that would be really destabilizing to, yeah. to yeah. not not have been able to have that conversation with them. On the other hand, I can't imagine going on a television show and not having that conversation. And I am not close with my family, but I would make it a point to be like, Hey, like would this happen? God, my dream. And I'm so, I don't want to say I'm disappointed. My sister's married, but I would love to be a family member on a hometown date. It's all I want. Mm -hmm. Ideally, like, a sibling that ruins it. Yeah. Well, you have, like, (laughs) little cousins and stuff. You could come in as an aunt. Yeah, I guess. I don't think they're going to be on The Bachelor. I don't know. (laughs) Thanks for for saying that, though. (laughs) And it's just, like, it's a lot to juggle to try to be close enough with everyone in my family to ensure that I will be invited on a hometown. I mean, surely people know about your – like, everyone knows about my passion for The Bachelor. they would let me know if they were going to be on The Bachelor so I could also be on The Bachelor. Anyone I know who might be on The Bachelor someday, I would love to be at your hometown date. Please invite us. We could come together. Yeah. We will make it fun. <laughs> uh, for their night date, Jason and Melissa meet on a romantic pier in downtown Queenstown. Jason asks even more questions about Melissa's family, but then finally he lets it go and says, like, you know, even though I met the other families, it was nice to see your real life. Then he presents the fantasy suite card, which is the exact same wording as Jillian's. But as I said before, unfortunately, we can see it's signed from Chris. They go to the fantasy suite. Melissa knows she has to tell Jason tonight that she loves him. She tells Jason she's realizing things and it's scaring her. It's scary when you realize what you can lose. I cannot count the t- how many times Jillian... Melissa uses the word scared or scary or fear in this scene. Jason says nothing is going to scare him. Melissa says she's fallen head over heels in love with him. It terrifies her. 
Jason's so excited to have a whole night with Melissa to himself. He's been falling for her for a while. Any doubts he had are now gone. And this to me was like when I was like, oh, I totally get why Melissa wins now. Because with Melissa, she's just like, I'm scared. I'm scared. I need reassurance. And he steps into that role of, hey, I'm not scared of anything. Like he's kind of forced to be like the strong one. I think he likes that. And also it's kind of like, wow, she likes me so much that she's falling apart. Whereas there's even a moment earlier, I forget exactly where, but he asks Molly if she's scared and he, she's like, no, like I think his pull to like be a comforter and caretaker yeah. brings him to Melissa. Plus it just kind of seems right. like she's more into him. Whereas Molly just has sort of a quiet certainty about this whole thing. Yeah. And yeah. I think in the moment that is probably harder to parse, especially with producers in your ear. And it, it, it also, I think speaks to why their relationship feels so much more appealing because they're kind of meeting each other on the same level. It's not fear based. Yeah. Like that Melissa goes into this thing. Like, I know I have to tell him I love him tonight. And that's scary. You don't have to tell him anything, but clearly there's someone backstage saying like, you gotta tell Jason you love him tonight. Mm-hmm. And Molly wouldn't go for that bullshit. I don't yeah. think. And I also, I also feel like just thinking about like the situation that they will find themselves in once the season is over, like for someone who has been so insecure and fearful about the whole process as Melissa has, like what a nightmare, like how could that, 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 that could be set up more perfectly to torture that person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Jason goes out to the women. He looks stricken. He says he has to do the most selfish thing he's ever done and break one of their hearts. I don't think that's that selfish. I think it would be much more selfish to keep them around forever. But anyway, Molly looks like she's about to cry, which is interesting. The first rose goes to Melissa and then Molly. Jason walks Jillian out. He's like, you live such an adventurous, fun life, and I don't. Jillian's like, yeah, because I'm single, which is like a really good point that I think more people <laughs> should say when like when this divorced dad of a kid is like, God, our lives are so different. Like, yeah, of course they are. <laughs> so like, I'm really looking for a single woman who likes to like make orange slices for soccer teams on her, <laughs> in her spare time. <laughs> I mean, I don't um, know when he talks about like what a real date looks like sitting at home watching TV on the weekend. I mean, like, that's what my life looks like. I'm single. Yeah, I actually, I think I, Jason. <laughs> you know, Jason, if, if you're looking. Um, Jillian, like, kind of heartbreakingly describes this beautiful dream she had where she and Jason and Ty were a family and, like, cuddling. And it's very sad, but then she's like, I'm not looking for what I did wrong. I'm looking for someone who loves me for me. She leaves. She says again that Jason made her feel like the only person in the room. She feels like she was a better fit for him than the other woman. Maybe one day she'll have her fairy tale ending, but the decision he made today broke her heart. Jason has like a sad think about Jillian, and then he returns to Molly and Melissa. And then in a very weird feeling move, he says, one of you I will spend the rest of my life with. <laughs> that was very, the very strange. Like, and this moment where they come back in at the final three-row ceremony is always really funny like I remember Ari and Lauren and Becca like watching a sunset very awkwardly yeah. at this moment but that line was like un- unusually awkward like this point in the show is peak awkwardness you usually try to not have them spend that much time together the three of them I mean un- until you're in the spend as much time as possible era we get around right. Pilot Pete like, season Pilot Pete. <laughs> so 
that's the end of that episode. And the final thing to note is in the scenes coming up, it is now, we are now told that the end of the season is so shocking. They had to film something so intimate with no audience. And this is now kind of like our first official proof that we are living in an era where they know what happened with Jason and Melissa. Yeah. And so, of course, at this time, rumors are going wild. Reality Steve isn't anybody, so nobody knows whether to trust him. And More on Reality Steve next week. Yeah, we can't wait to talk about his journey into relevance through this season. Really, so I've made some fascinating discoveries that I didn't know in our research, so stay tuned. Coming up. (laughs) (laughs) A podcast episode so dramatic, we had to film it with just the two of us. (laughs) Um, So... What a ride. Great they, set of episodes. Great set of episodes. I I can't believe how much things have changed since last week. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone is gone. It and felt like they got down to two real fast. Really fast. And I just feel like this set of episodes, we really came to understand who Jason is who Molly and Melissa are, why things happen the way they happen. Mm-hmm. And we got some really outstanding stuff from Jillian, Naomi, and Stephanie especially. Yeah. It's hard to believe that there were other people here at the beginning of this episode. I know. I feel like every Bachelor season, though, it's like the beginning of the season, you're like, oh, I can't believe, like, the girl with the shrimp and this. And then you're at, like, the last three, and you forget any of them ever existed. It's true. Anne-Marie, what do you feel aged... The best. For me, it was Jillian being a girl's girl. She doesn't ever use that, but like I really that scene with her and Jason where he like pulls her aside to talk about her doubts. I just was like, this is a woman I would be friends with. She is here to make friends. This is the women supporting women energy we want from our bachelor contestants in 2023. Also, obviously, age the best. Do we even need to say this? The man himself, Jason Mesnick. It's true. Jason is. <laughs> I didn't want to say that this week because that's what I said last week. But yeah, Jason, he's just aging better and better. Jason is my favorite bachelor. Yeah. Like I still I love mean, like Pilot Pete for the chaos. But like, Jay, like I see how you could fall in love with this man on TV. And I've never said that about a bachelor before. I fell in love with him on my TV. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I feel like especially it's it's disappointing that they didn't continue to go in the Jason Mesnick direction. I wonder how much of that was because he was, you know, as we'll talk about next week, seen as a divisive, controversial bachelor after his season. I am also interested to see, will I fall in love with every bachelor just by <laughs> virtue of watching them on my TV for so long? I don't think so. Girl, if you fall in love with Ben Flanick, I don't know ben if I can Flannick. do this podcast with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's only one way to find out. Um, what, Anne, what do you feel aged the worst? Okay. I have two answers. My serious answer is I feel like not letting the actual things around identity and culture that led to the disconnect between Jason and Naomi be named on the screen. Um, But my other thing is Stephanie saying that 
in the bedroom. Her focus is her man's pleasure. Mm. Center yourself. Get get yourself off, girl. That's a really good one. And also, so a thing that I put for age the worst that I didn't go into in the recap is when they are on the set of General Hospital, there's they have like a kind of kissing lesson that Shannon uses and it is an opportunity to have her first kiss with Jason. And it's supposed to be like practicing stage kissing, but she just like plants one on him. And then she's like, oh, great. I had my first kiss with Jason, which is like, come on, that didn't really count because like this was a volunteer situation. And then Molly and now Molly, Megan in her scene, like really goes for it, kind of like pushing like a long kiss, like people are yelling cut. She keeps going. This is a classic sometimes TV makes it seem like this is okay because of course a man would want to make out with a bunch of women but this was like using being on a set as an excuse to like just force a make out on someone Mm -hmm. that is never okay not okay at all never okay never okay and it's notable that it's you know all the women that Jason is not kissing on his own that this right it's like the fact that they say he's not kissing me on his own so I'm going to use this opportunity to Force a kiss on him, not okay. Mm-hmm. I agree. Finally, Chris Harrison watch. Not a lot of our guy in this episode. I don't want to say our guy. The most notable thing is is that they don't read his name on the cards. Well, I also noticed he stuck around for the singing competition. Chris Harrison almost never sticks around, but I know he. If someone might embarrass themselves, Chris Harrison will be there. He. <laughs> loves to just like jump in on like piling on people i thought it was very him to be there yeah and of course we're gonna see like chris harrison watch won't really be a thing until our women tell all and finale those are the big moments where you watch the journey of chris harrison so we'll see lots more of him next week yeah i think i noticed that chris harrison said on multiple occasions that Jason wasn't leading anyone on in this episode which i thought was perplexing Mm -hmm. because the Bachelor is always leading people on. That's literally the job. Mm. I think just the fact that he like didn't give a rose at all was like revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Oh, another Chris Harrison moment I had that I thought was funny was like Jason's like so upset when Stephanie leaves and Chris Harrison goes and kind of gives him like like he like kind of puts his arms around him and is like, you good? And Jason's like, yeah. And then Chris Harrison vanishes. <laughs> yeah. Chris is he's his he's he's definitely a little bit of a robot who, to quote one of our favorite Bachelor podcasts, Game of Roses, really likes to savor the suffering. That's what he's there to do. Yeah. Yeah. He's good at it. Mm-hmm. He loves to be like, boy, like this really sucks for you, huh? I'm, I swear he vanishes into thin air. I know, like last week, I remember I wasn't sure. I, I noticed him really running out and running back in during a mm-hmm. rose ceremony. And I realized, like, he does that all the time. He always just, like, completely vanishes. Like, why can't he just stand there for Mm -hmm. a little bit? No, he has to go back to his trailer. Chris Harrison does not like to work. Mm. Millennials, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's it for this week on Bachelor in Retrospect. We can't wait for next week when we talk about what really made Jason Mesnick's season famous. Yeah, and I'm, I'm jazzed. The women tell all episodes are never my favorite or the men tell all. They're never my favorite in like real time. But rewatching them years later is part of what made us want to do this podcast because 
like that lot kind of live interaction with the audience is so interesting. And I think, yeah, I'm really jazzed to see how it ages. So yeah, we're going to be watching women tell all the finale and the infamous after the final rose special. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.